Da. Ja. Or da? J. J A. Yeah. Ja. Da. Da. Like like why? Really? Yes. Yeah. I'm da. da. He's da. da. Rush is da. You're ja. 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 There you go. That's you the know, first you time you got it says, right. Jawohl. You've learned ja. your first German word. No, not da. Ja. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will say it right next time. Like, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, it's just us and our spouses stockading our way to victory in Agricola, all creatures big and small. Next, we put our tailor-made homebrew dice to the tests of Tartarus in Dice Forge. And lastly, we wander through the chaos of 1930s Europe to jockey for position in Origins of World War II. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hi, I'm Evan Bernstein. And no, you can't contact spirits by playing with a Ouija board. Hi, I'm Ed Povolitis. I think we need to look a little bit more into this pottery wheel thing. I'm Joe Unfried. I contact spirits through my local distillery. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and I see dead people. Hey, Mikey. I just wanted us to tell everyone about our Instagram page and how it's happened this week, because we went to Goat LARP. If you go there, you'll see me playing Veld the Traveler, feeding the saviors of mankind. Check it out, and also check out our latest news feed on whichgamefirst.com. And don't forget to like and share us on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Our first game up this week is Agricola, All Creatures Big and Small, designed by Yui Rosenberg, published by Z-Man Games in 2012, number of players 2, ages 13 and up, playtime 30 minutes. Okay, when we spotted this game on the horizon, what were our first thoughts? Mike? One of us had a rough time with the full Agricola game. I'm wondering how she is going to feel about this one. (laughs) Evan? Let's see. Sheep, pigs, horses. What? No camels? Ed? A two-player version of Agricola that's all about the animals. Where are the goats? Joe? According to Google, Agricola is Latin for agriculture. Mind blown. So it's not a soft drink. Who knew? You know, I think with a catchier name, this game could have been big. Oh, wait, this game is already huge. Must be all the cute wooden animals. But before we say aw, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Agricola, all creatures big and small, you become a breeder of horses, cows, sheep, and pigs. Players start with a 3x2 game board that can be expanded during play to give more room for animals to roam and breed. 16 possible actions are available, allowing players to gather materials, build fences and structures, or shepherd animals to their pastures. Players get three actions in each of the eight rounds. There are also four standard buildings and four special buildings available in the game. The player who amasses the most victory points through enclosing spaces with fences and acquiring the largest number and variety of animals and victory point generating buildings will be the winner. I have so many animals, I feel like a winner. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to all that mooing. Those are the moos of victory. (laughs) (laughs) And the agony of defeat. (laughs) (laughs) Why is this game for ages 13 and up? I don't understand that. I think a 10-year-old could easily get this game, I think. 
that does seem a little bit high for the complexity of this game. I guess they may have thought that maybe some children shouldn't actually know how animals breed. Until <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were worried about animal husbandry. <laughs> a lot of times these age restrictions are based purely on uh, testing. In other words, uh, if somebody didn't pay for testing for younger children. Well, I get that, but, you know, 10 would be all right, I think. But if you check Board Game Geek, it actually has the community suggesting it 10 or better. See that? That's about where I was thinking. So, all right, I'm on board with the. Board <laughs> You're game on geek. point, Evan. <laughs> yeah. This game is very different from the original. Um, and I think the biggest thing that's missing is the cards, which added a lot of complexity to the game. These were language heavy cards with special instructions on them. This game is language independent, which means there is no language on it, which I enjoyed a lot. Well, this game also doesn't have uh, the requirement of feeding your people and stuff like that. This game keeps it simple. Yeah, you have eight turns with three actions each turn. So you got to get everything done that you want to do in no small amount of actions. And there's a lot you want to do. I played against Ed, and Ed was starting his breeding process about a round or two, maybe before myself. And by the end of the game, I'm looking at Ed's card. He's got so many animals on his board. He's, you know, I, I'm thinking, like, is he going to run out of spaces to put them? Whereas I'm trying to play catch-up by rounds seven and eight. So that was my experience. That is a similar game to the one Joe and I played, where um, Joe and I were on equal footing in that we had just learned the game. But I did decide to breed early. I built a pen and start started breeding. I think it pays to have to get two animals in there to just let them start breeding on their own. Mm -hmm. Right. And you only ever need two of one kind of animal because you'll never breed more than one, in a, regardless if you have 10 or if you have two. I was actually kind of disappointed. I'm like, well, now I have four animals. Why aren't I breeding two each turn? So when I played against Ed, he took the strategy of just gathering a whole bunch of materials together first, and then he built basically all his fences out in one turn with wood. That was the strategy I employed when I played against Ed, but he turned the tables on me. You gotta get those food trials functioning ASAP. Yeah. The most challenging part of this game is balancing your resources well. And if neither player takes a resource, that resource doubles up for the next turn. But if you really need that horse and you got to take that resource instead, then the other player is going to get a chance to scoop up a ton of resources. A big part for me is when looking at what other people are doing and trying to predict what they're going to do, say, I don't think you're going to go for that. I think you're going to go for this. So I can let that slide because it'll be better next turn. Mm -hmm. And you can take the first turn marker by going to a resource that doesn't replenish as quickly um, but that means next turn you're going to be able to scoop up that big pile before anybody can get to it hey mike the game has negative points did you realize that oh my god the negative <laughs> points in this game are almost guaranteed yeah uh, because if you don't have at least three of each animal you're going to get negative points yeah and there's four kinds of animals i so thought of you mike <laughs> plus you can't have them all in the same pen you can only have sheep in one pen cows in another pen etc and and you can't get there by breeding because you know obviously cows don't breed sheep what <laughs> I love I love Evan's shock at the fact that cows can't breed sheep. <laughs> well, not without going to a lot of trouble. You know, they need to have their own genetics lab and uh, one of those Frankenstein tables. I mean, it's not easy. <laughs> 
That's the expansion yeah. set. Yes, the Mad Laboratory of Agricole. Yeah, <laughs> Doc, no. the Island of Doctor Moreau's yeah. Agricole. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've tried it, and you know, there's some, there was some success along the way, but it just wasn't cost effective. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean. Listen, people have been breeding sheep and cattle for a long time, and they still haven't figured out a way to make shadow or uh, <laughs> horse sheep. I don't know. But um, they've been doing this forever. Like, let me just give you an example here. Sheep were domesticated in multiple events sometime between 11,000 and 5,000 years ago in Southwest Asia. Pigs were domesticated by 8,500 B.C., in the Near Whoa. East and 6,000 BC in China. Horses around 4,000 BC, cattles since approximately 10,500 years ago. So all the animals in this game have been going for thousands and thousands of years, and they still have not found a way to crossbreed sheep and cattle. Let's talk about the look of this game. It's cute and colorful. Do you guys think the components are the best feature? I mean, it's 144 wooden pieces wow. with tons of animeeples. 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 Yeah. I love the color choices for the animals. Unlike pastel camels, this game had uh, realistic colors for the animals. Sweet tart colored camels. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I had a little bit of trouble with the the fencing that you put on the board because uh, it was smooth, shiny wood, uh, and it was a nice yellow color, but it slid all over the place. So trying to keep your pens in mm -hmm. shape was a little bit challenging. Yes, mm -hmm. very low on the cat friendliness scale. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you know, those farmers are always working on the fences. <laughs> it's true. Got to give them something to repair. Um, but uh, in addition to that, you know, the board had... Of that very benign Euro game feel where everybody sort of has benign smiling faces, not a lot of emotion and stuff. But that wasn't super relevant to the game anywhere. This game was all about those wooden animeeples, as Ed said. Well, the the art is definitely highly classic. It's done by the, the well-known Clement Font. He's done many of the art pieces on Ui's games. Yep. And when I see his name, I know that the game will be a really slow slog to get your engine running. And <laughs> as soon as the engine gets running, the game will end. <laughs> that is a good point, Mike. I, this game ends in eight rounds. I wanted to play 16 rounds. I mean, <laughs> I was very happy with the length of this game. I was no done. I was done farming and breeding by the end of this game. I would have liked nine or 10 rounds because then your engine is running the way right. you want it to. And you get two rounds to enjoy all your hard work. Uh, exactly. Yes, Mike, I totally agree with you. It would have been a completely different game at, at 10 rounds. It is a very different game, and strategy would have changed significantly. Yes, I would have won. <laughs> well, one thing I like about this game is it's actually designed as a two-player game to give that worker placement feel. And I think it works really good because it streamlines the game of Agricola to just those little things that two players can fight over. I, uh, I agree. I think this game would have been a lot more challenging for me to sit through if I had to wait for more than one other person's turn. I think it's a great pace at two players. I really enjoyed the pace of this game, which, again, I have trouble with Euro game pacing a lot of the time. Z-Man made this small box version of the game, but uh, there's also another big box version of the game out there that had the two expansions. And what are those about, Ed? What they include are more of the special buildings. So you can add variety there. You would have a random assortment of eight buildings every game. Yeah, I didn't use the special buildings that much. Um, for me, just getting those animals out early was enough to win the game. Those special buildings, I thought, were kind of expensive. 
they're actually pretty good when you think about the fact that they provide a really good amount of victory points usually. They also have a capacity to put animals in, and they provide four walls on the board that you can build around. And sometimes they'll have a special ability to click with your strategy. There are only eight turns, and in order to benefit from the special victory points they're offering to you, you need to plan early. Or add two more rounds. Yeah, I think this <laughs> I think this whole game actually is about planning early. I don't see a lot of switching gears halfway through the game. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Agricola all creatures big and small. Joe? I've only played a few games in the Agricola series, and I've never done very well at them yet, but I've always enjoyed them, digging it up. Evan? Cute theme, easy to play, easy to decipher, and I wish it lasted a few more rounds. Dig it up. Ed? This is a nice two-player version of the classic worker placement game. Dig it up. Mike? It seems like it would be a good introduction to a Euro style for my less gamery friends, so dig it up. The streamlining of the mechanics of this game over the larger card-laden version made it way more fun for me, with just the right amount of turns. So I'm digging it up. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, where can you find this game? Agricola All Creatures Big and Small may be hard to find until the next reprint comes along, but a few copies may be found at resellers for about 30 to 40 bucks. If you have thoughts about Agricola All Creatures Big and Small, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is Dice Forge, designed by Regis Bonasset, published by Libelud in 2017. Number of players, 2 to 4, ages 10 and up. Playtime, 45 minutes. Okay, when we shined a light on this find, what were our first thoughts? Joe? So we actually get to upgrade our dice as we go and even customize them. This I gotta see. It seems like a tall order. Evan? The real challenge here will be not to get distracted by the cool dice I get to build. Ed? We got deck building, then we got bag building, and now we have dice building. Mind blown. (laughs) Mike? (laughs) Is assembling dice faces mid-game going to slow this down to a crawl? (laughs) My dice can level up. And they get to change outfits when they do. Let's get started. But before we choose our new looks, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Dice Forge, you are heroes invited by the gods to compete in a grand tournament in the celestial realm. Each hero receives two divine dice with removable faces. I kid you not, they are removable. On your turn, you may customize your dice by offering gold at the temple. Or visit the islands to complete quests by using the shards you collected to gain glory. Heroes, stand ready to control the luck of the dice and earn your place among the gods. (laughs) It sounds so epic. Well, I read it that way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it felt pretty epic when I first opened the box, looking at the dice with 
empty faces. Oh my yeah. gosh, oh, man. wild yeah. concept. And the box is even used to like hold up some of the pieces on one side, and it kind of like seems like a raised temple area. That's really cool. Well, I have to say, we weren't even going to play the game Dice Forge on the day that Ed brought it, but when he opened up the box and laid it out all over <laughs> the stopped. table, like, oh yeah, we're playing this. Right? Yeah, <laughs> come on. I mean. It's like throwing a bunch of Legos in front of, you know, a seven or eight year old. That's it. You're done. That's exactly how I felt. I got that same awesome Lego feeling when I saw that I could put dice together and snap the pieces out. It was awesome. And let's answer the question. Does it slow the game down to pop those pieces out of the sides of the dice and put new pieces in them? I was sure it was going to be cumbersome, but it's quite easy. Yeah, actually, they give instructions of using one piece to pop another piece out, which was helpful. But also, when you get those dice faces, you put them into your dice at the end of your turn anyway. So while the other person's going, you have something to do. And I was worried that these dice, like, pieces popping in and out of them would just be a mess and it would wear them out. But they seemed really sturdy. When I was clipping them in and popping them out, they seemed like it could go a long time before they get too loose or wrecked. Sometimes they did actually uh, pop, fly out a little bit when you pop them out. Oh, my God. They flew all over the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you get excited about an awesome dice face. You got, yeah, here it goes. Poing. <laughs> like, hits the ceiling. <laughs> you don't even care, though, because you get to put a new piece on your die. Oh, it's so cool. But you, you did have to wait sometime, though, for people to finish putting their dice in because you get to roll every turn. Every yeah. turn, mm-hmm. everybody rolls. Oh. We've, all, we've all been trying to do it face down. Oh. Everyone else but me is. Sweet! <laughs> that was fast and easy. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> My turn. Everyone roll. Concerned. Everybody Everybody roll. I mean, you think that redesigning your dice is, is awesome and nothing can come near that, you know, until you find out you get to roll on every single turn, not just your turns. Yeah, it's great. You have something to do on other people's turn. A lot of games miss out on that. It was kind of interesting. When you start off, you say the first player gets three gold. The next player gets two gold. Third player only gets one. Yeah, I was really confused by that because usually it goes the other way around. The people who go later in the turn, they have a disadvantage, so they get more of a reward because they had to wait for their turn. But in this game, you're rolling resources every turn, regardless whether it's yours or not. So the second player actually gets less resources to start with because they've already gathered the resources they rolled during the first player's turn. There are 108 die faces in the game, and they have a beautiful tray with a cover and an elastic band to keep them all in place. (laughs) Ed gets very excited about components. I am. (laughs) And, And this game is very well produced. Yeah, that tray that holds all of the die faces, or die faces, I should say, is really cool and very inviting. Because what you do is as you upgrade your die, you're obviously pulling new faces from that tray. And it struck me as funny because we couldn't reach all around the table to reach the tray. So we <laughs> actually picked up the tray and passed it around. When <laughs> you picked I up picked, the entire temple and I, I passed just it across up, the table. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing that contained all the die faces. I just picked it up and started passing it around because it was easier. But looking at all the different selections you get, it's like passing a box of chocolates around to your friend. <laughs> so it was a very social aspect of the game. Shopping mm. at the temple was hands down my favorite part of the game. So in in a lot of games where you build a deck, or in this case, dice, um, I chose the option that lets you buy stuff faster to be my main strategy. So I I put a lot of faces on my dice that gave me gold that let me buy more dice faces. What did you guys think of the 
combination of a board where you got items and the temple where you got items. What what did you guys think of how they blended together? I thought it was kind of cool because it felt like two different areas that you could go to. Yeah, there are definitely two different ways to kind of focus on victory points. Like, um, I focused on putting victory points on dice, but there's a lot of victory points to get from going to the islands. A few of them gave you dice sides that you couldn't purchase with gold. Mm-hmm. Right, so it would give you a special ability or a die side, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, or just a bunch of victory points. Which was my strategy. I just went for victory points because there are a limited amount of those cards with those victory points that you can pick up. Once that stack is gone, they're gone. And not everybody can get one. Some of it reminded me of Dominion where you're looking ahead and you see what cards are available that game and you decide to form a strategy around that. Yeah, looking for synergy is a lot of fun. I had a similar problem with this game, and it's a good problem to have, (laughs) but I had a similar problem with this game as I did with Eschaton. I just got so interested in shopping for the new things (laughs) that I could get that I kind of just put strategy, kind of just went out the window. It's hard to know when to pull the trigger and like switch gears and say, I've got my dice set. Now I need to go for the victory. Yes, right. To to stop and say, okay, go for the numbers now. Because I just wanted to go for the new stuff and the pretty things. And the, let's try <laughs> so some easy to things. get sucked in by that. They tempted you. Shopping yeah. is fun. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Shopping's my favorite part, but you do have to buckle down eventually and try to win the game. <laughs> and develop some sort of <laughs> develop some sort of synergy. True. Yeah. Another aspect I thought was really well done was the art in the game. Very cool art. Oh, yeah. It was bright and vibrant and magical feeling. That was great. It went very well with the theme. How the artwork of the actual cards as they dock into their little slots around the island matches up with the artwork on the island. Very, very well done. Oh, yeah. It fits right in with the board. Another cool thing about the cards is they're alternate sets. You can get different type of game each time you play. Oh, yeah. The replayability is huge in this game. But no matter how good your strategy is, the dice can still be very cruel. Oh, it can be very cruel. <laughs> you can set up those dice nice, but you'll still have a couple one faces on there or faces you just don't need at the moment, or your gold will be full and you'll roll all gold. Yeah, which yeah. Is you go I to did. capacity, <laughs> yeah, you can't spill over. You lose it. Yeah, just keep going shopping until your dice is only good. <laughs> I had to buy an expander for my card to hold more gold because it only allowed you to 12, I believe it was. Oh, yeah. I had so many wasted die rolls right. from that board not being big enough. I couldn't put place resources anywhere because I had no space for them, and they're just lost. But there's a card on the island in, which allows you to expand your pockets, basically. So you can accumulate more gold, more rubies, and more resources. Um, you have to go get that card, though. Yeah, the game I played, there was also a card that extended the amount of gold you can have. And you could use it to get extra victory points if you go through this little side gold track. I think it was called like the hammer or something like that. The place where you could go shopping for dice, as we said, is called the temple. The more you spent, you could choose from a better selection of die sides. But I wonder if those die sides were balanced well, because let's say you were spending 10 gold and you could shop in the 10 gold area. I felt like if you got there earlier, you got better die sides. And for example, if there were four die sides there and somebody already bought one or two of them, the two that were left were not quite as good. So that is something to pay attention to as well. I didn't think they were all precisely worth the same amount. But I think they offer different strategies and one might fit with your strategy better than another. 
All right, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Dice Forge. Joe? We get to be heroes competing to become demigods. It plays like Sam Raimi directed it. That's a fine reason for a dig up. <laughs> Evan? I love the concept of building your dice as you go. I love the design. Tons of replayability here. All around good. Dig it up. Mike? Even though dice are very often evil to me, this game has all the fun of a deck builder, so dig it up. Ed? I love the great crafting game style now, and building dice is so much fun. Dig up those charge for glory. Despite the mayhem that ensued when popping dice sides out, this game was everything it promised to be. Dice planning, dice building, and dice rolling excitement. Dig it up. Ed, where can you find it? Dice Forge can be found at your local game stores and online. Run for about 40 bucks. If you have thoughts about Dice Forge, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our last game up this week is Origins of World War II, designed by Jim Dunnigan and Thomas N. Shaw, published by Avalon Hill in 1971. Number of players, 2 to 5, ages 12 and up. Playtime, one hour. Okay, when we brush the sands away from this find, what were our first thoughts? Mike? This game is full of chits and charts. (laughs) (laughs) Evan? Something is wrong with a person if they are not fascinated by World War II. Ed? A diplomacy game set during the lead up to World War II? How many friends can we lose playing this one? (laughs) (laughs) Joe? How can you competently examine the origins of World War II in Europe without also examining the failure and collapse of the League of Nations, or at least the end of World War I? How about that? (laughs) Avalon Hill is known for their deep-dive, heavy war games. Is this going to feel like a 10th grade history class? But before we start sweating the final, Evan, tell us a little bit about how it's played. It's pre-war late 1930s and Europe is on the brink. We know this from the benefit of hindsight. But what if you were there, knowing what you know today of the calamity to come and you have the chance to stop the conflict? How would you manage one of the most delicate situations the world has ever known? Origins of World War II puts you into that role of leadership and responsibility. You are the head of diplomacy for one of five nations. The United States, France, the United Kingdom, the Soviet Union, and Germany. And it's your task to achieve your country's diplomatic goals. Each nation has a different set of achievements necessary to score victory points. Some achievements involve diplomacy, and others involve desired strategic conflicts. The game lasts six rounds, so that's all the time you have to perhaps change the course of history, which we now know as the origins of World War II. (laughs) It does have a heavy theme, obviously. Um, But how did the play feel? Did it feel heavy? With this group? (laughs) (laughs) the the game mechanics are really simple very straightforward and i actually loved the charts they were so easy to understand 
Well, the rules-wise, yes, it was easy, but you had to constantly be referring to the charts to decide what your path to victory was going to be and to keep an eye on what other people were trying to do for victory because everybody has different conditions in the different positions on the board. At least the charts existed. I appreciated that. You know what I mean? If there was no charts, this game wouldn't exist. Uh, Yeah, you kind of need the chart to know what's going on. Can you actually believe Avalon Hill would have a game without mad charts and shits everywhere? (laughs) Not particularly. Unlikely. I think what I meant to say was that uh, the charts were great at telling you exactly what to keep track of. And I really appreciated that. Your country wins if you maximize your understanding and control of whatever countries your chart tells you to have an understanding or a control in. Yeah, so understanding and control are two different things on the board. One of them means you just have brought your forces there, locked it down, and nobody can alter it. Understanding means you've kind of had enough troops there so that... The country you're in will have an understanding with you, and it's kind of like a non-aggression pact. Well, diplomats, not troops, because this is pre-war. Well, that's my question, though. See, sometimes they were troops and sometimes they were diplomats, right? Because you did fight. That's why the name political factor is brilliant. You are placing political factors in the country, and it encompasses everything. And I really appreciated the simplicity of that. It's like you don't have to move troops and diplomats, you know, and money and resources. You just move political factors. Well, as we know, war is just politics through other means. Gunboat diplomacy is a thing. Some of this didn't involve people with any sort of official rank at all. A lot of it was just diplomats or spies or whatever paying off a bunch of criminals or street thugs or brawlers to actually take to the streets (laughs) with slogans and and signs and you know then beat up whoever was not in favor that's it there's a political factor for you (laughs) there you go but i appreciate the fact that they had them all grouped into one thing called political factor but it was kind of weird to think that oh if i need diplomats they're all diplomats if i need you know spies they're all spies if i need warriors they're all warriors i loved that part that you could assume you were doing the right thing as the as the country was great i i loved that part definitely streamlines things <laughs> yeah no it's highly streamlined yeah and I'm, I'm sure some people think way way too simplified if you think this game is too simple for the setup to World War II, have we got a game for you? It's not the conquest for <laughs> South Africa. And what game should they be playing if they want a real build up to World War II? Uh, what about a world at war? If you want to go on the other scale? Which will take you days to play, if not weeks. Oh, yeah, I was really surprised when I saw how streamlined it was with the name Avalon Hill on it. They say you can complete a game here in one hour, 60 minute game. I think we were right about there. Right? An hour? Uh, We were a little over, but, you know, it wasn't our usual two to four times the time on the box kind of uh, slog that we are usually engaged in. So we, we, we did all right. This is a very old-fashioned game, and it's made, it was made... Uh, I know exactly how many years ago it was made because it was made the year I was born. <laughs> so uh, so this game is uh, 40 plus years uh, old and the map uh, and the chits are all from that era. What did you guys think of it? Map was a little busy for what it needed to be, but you know, it was clear enough that where the borders were at least. Yeah, I thought it was a little oversimplified in a way and the faces in some cases too small. Uh, yeah, I, I think it had both of those elements, the old fashioned type of map that was just lines and lines and lines and lines and lines that weren't necessary for this game. 
and yet also weirdly simple and small in that if you were in Germany, say, the names of the other countries were printed in Germany because that's where you placed your chip. I might have been looking for France itself and reading the word France all over the map was confusing. Well, remember, you, you, because more than one nation can share control of a place and more than one nation can have an understanding in a place, you do need it spread out somewhat. Oh, I agree, but there's some spaces on the board just because they were geographically small. There was no way to put all the counters that could be there in those bases. Yeah, Austria is pretty small. Yeah, but a lot of places, and this is something I noticed from the beginning of the game, a lot of places get locked down really quick, so there's no activity in there whatsoever. The basic game is designed to pattern what actually really happened in history. For example, the German conditions for victory had to do with a lot of conflict and locking down or controlling certain areas of the map. If Germany is able to do that very early in the rounds, it's very hard to stop Germany from what would become the inevitable. And that is exactly what happened when we played our version yeah. of the game. Britain is especially nosy in this in this game. I say nosy. I think we need an understanding here. Yeah, me too. Hey, I'll say, I'll say, you my victory can do that. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's see if we can see eye to eye, eh? Hey, that's a good chum. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, well, old chap. No conflict. Peace in our time. <laughs> Peace in our time. Yeah. Yeah. We needed to practice quite a bit more diplomacy to succeed. And we, did, we should un have, yes. Unfortunately, we gave Ed Germany, which may not have been the wisest thing to do. <laughs> Probably it was the perfect choice because we wanted to simulate history. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the Germans were on top of their game, and that's that does sort of mirror history. And the rest of the Allies, meaning us, could have done a better job at working together uh, in order to stop Germany. And if the Allies do not have their organization together, they are not going to beat Germany because they've got to band together to win. Right. And that's how this is designed to work out. Well, Germany, it's easy for them to have their stuff together early in the game because they get way more resources than everybody else. And they go last so they get to see what everybody else is doing, how they're bickering with each other before they stomp their foot down on the That's map. That's right. Germany doesn't really have any friend, though. I mean, sure, they can work a little bit with Russia, but everybody else? No, there's no friendship there. Austria. Austria has been, subs um, been, yes, been subsumed. The Baltic nations as well. Czechoslovakia. Mm. Yes, that has gone to... I'm, I'm not so uh, sure what you're worried about. Oh, we got an understanding. Oh, right? The, well... Right? Uh, yes, I'm trying... I'm trying oh, to... Oh, you're trying to say we don't have an understanding? Is that what you're saying? What, what I am expressing. I'm half our word from you. And one of the variants I saw for this game was to have Italy be a player instead of the U.S. Yeah, there are variants to this game. In other words, you don't have to use the standard chart that they give you. They actually include in the game some alternate charts. They call one the anti-Bolshevik crusade, in which the United States is much more involved. But they do have these other uh, national objective charts, they call them. And there are some scenarios here in which it is much easier to play the United States, but almost impossible, I think, for the United States to achieve victory using the standard game. Because they don't want anyone putting any units basically anywhere. Yeah, the United States wants to muck up the works and have nobody have any understandings or control markers on the board if they can help Which it. is near impossible. Yeah, it's all because that's all the other players are doing. 
the entire game. So it is, and they get so few resources to stop them. So it's almost like they have the same goals as Germany. They're alone. Germany wants control. They, and U.S. wants no control, no understanding. And yet the U.S. has a lot less resources than Germany to make it happen. Right. Which makes me think that we missed an aspect of this game by not actually taking people aside and talking to them and doing diplomatic stuff. It's all about the block you here and I'll go there. But yeah, but we didn't really do much of that. We just placed our pieces. We didn't really talk it out like, Hey, you do this. I'll do that. You know? Well, we did a little bit. At least I did. (laughs) Germany. (laughs) Okay. Explorers get those shovels out. It's time to dig up or bury origins of world war two. Ed. This game is simple to play with interesting depth in the deal making, but I think the diplomacy game does this a bit better. I will dig it up for a historical experience, but I don't foresee playing it much. Joe? This game's abstract nature isn't just its greatest asset, it's also its biggest design flaw. Its lack of replayability is compensated for uh, somewhat by some of the other scenarios included, which uh, I'm eager to try. So I'll dig it up for now. Evan? Despite our failure to employ enough diplomacy to stop the German sweep, it's an interesting enough game to dig up, especially for people who enjoy puzzle solving more than combat action. Mike? I was kind of on the fence about whether to dig this up or bury it, but after the conversation and finding that there's a bunch of other scenarios we can try, I say dig it up. I was pleasantly surprised by the breezy, fast-paced playability of this game. And I think this could be a lot of fun uh, as a light diplomacy game. Dig it up. Evan, where can you find it? You can find it online. There are plenty of used copies to be had. $10 to $20 in most places. If you have thoughts about Origins of World War II, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes and our weekly post show, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter Today. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcaster. It really helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at Which Game First, and our Patreon subscribers get access to exclusive channels. Happy gaming, explorers! Gee, I would love to hear a sentence from the UN Charter right about now. We, the people of the United Nations, determined to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war, which twice in our lifetimes has brought untold sorrow to mankind. How well has that been working out for them? Gotta have blue helmets, man. 